Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey everybody, Paul Gray here. I'm so excited about the things that I have to share with you today, and I sure appreciate you all being with me. When I'm recording this, it's two weeks after Pentecost. And two weeks ago, we looked at the new thing that was predicted and promised throughout the Old Testament that God would become one of us, and Jesus did. And when Jesus was here in the flesh, he revealed the true nature of God to us. He showed us God's true nature of unconditional love and grace and inclusion. And then at his finished work at the cross, he demonstrated that. And then on Pentecost, he poured out the spirit of Christ on all people to enlighten us to God's truth that sets us free from Adam's false mindset concept of a dark, angry, punitive, fictitious concept of God. From that day on and from now on with us, we're focusing on the new. And that focus has a name, Nura, N-O-O-H-R-A. And I want to explain to you what that means. In Matthew 5, 14 to 16, I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation. Jesus is speaking to his group then, and he said, Your lives light up the world, for how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? And who would light a lamp? and then hide it in an obscure place. Instead, it's placed where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So don't hide your light. And I'm going to explain what that word light means to you. Let it, and means to me. (laughs) Let it shine brightly before others so that your commendable works will shine as light upon them. And then here's the result. They will give their praise to your Father in heaven. That's the result of sharing who God really is. Now, I want to look at that word light. In the footnotes in the Passion Translation, Brian Simmons, who uses the Aramaic, unlike hardly any other translators, he uses the Aramaic as well as the Greek because Aramaic is the language that Jesus and the disciples spoke. And he says the Aramaic word for light is nura, N-O-O-H-R-A. He said it's often used as a metaphor for teachings that bring enlightenment and revelation into the hearts of men. And we're going to see a wonderful example of that today and the potential for many more wonderful examples of that. Teachings that bring enlightenment and revelation into the hearts of men worldwide. He says this word pneuma can also represent the presence of God, as in the light of God's countenance. And Jesus, of course, is the light of God within us and the light to all mankind. Now, I'm going to start today. This is why I'm so excited. I I can hardly sit here. I want to start with a revelation that I've received over the past several days that has cleared up 
and totally changed how I see Scripture. This is totally new to me. You're going to see an amazing application that you may have never seen either, and it has to do with God's new thing, with Nura. I'm not saying you have to believe this. I'm not giving you a new doctrine or anything. It's what the teacher, the Spirit of Christ, has revealed to me and in me, and I want to impart it to you, and I hope it will be light, Nura, revelation, into your hearts. All right, here it is. Here's what this revelation is. Scripture represents two different versions of deity. Scripture presents two different versions of deity. Say it again. Scripture intentionally presents two different versions of deity. Now, the Holy Spirit in me has been showing me this, and something just clicked this week in a a post from my friend Mo Thomas, and you'll see what it is. All right, here's one picture of deity that Scripture presents, and I'm calling it the grace revelation picture. It's this, the Trinity, Papa, Jesus, and Grace, who are pure, perfect, unconditional light, love, grace, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faith, compassion, that version of God, the Trinity included all mankind in their divine triune family circle before creation. They have made us all forever right with them, one with them, and in complete union with them. Their love and grace and inclusion of us all has no limits, no demands, no conditions, no timetable, no expectations, no requirements to keep, no list of our wrongs. That deity never fails and never ends. Grace empowers us and teaches us and keeps us forever right with them. Grace revelation always runs consistent with the character we see in Christ. Grace revelation focuses on inclusion, peace, restoration, universal love, and pure goodness. There's only us. There's no us in them. Mercy never ends, and judgment, quote-unquote judgment, is love expressed to all people forever, making all things right for everyone forever. Grace revelation reveals that God left nothing to chance and made everything right for all people forever. That is one picture, one presentation of God in Scripture. And most of you listening today have come to see and know that version of deity. Now, Scripture also presents a contrasting version of deity. And I've come to understand this is that God does this intentionally. Scripture presents a different version of deity. And I'm going to call this version the law-religion version. And here's what it is. Scripture presents this as well. Adam's concept of a deity that is separate, dark, bipolar, list-keeping, has to be appeased, has a multitude of conditions and limits and restrictions and rules and impossible-to-meet demands of all people. This dark concept believes that all mankind is utterly depraved, totally wicked, and is doomed to separation from its deity unless it gains and maintains a right relationship with the deity by mankind's own efforts. Law, religion, this concept— always runs consistent with the character of the people Christ railed against. Law religion always includes exclusion, violence, retribution, limited love, bless us, and curse them. 
its mercy ends and everlasting judgment takes over. Law religion promotes a deity that is okay with, content with, and even happy that 90% of people are going to suffer eternal conscious torment because they deserve it. And only the lucky 10% who are either predestined or got it right can escape the horrors of eternal conscious torment. That is another version of deity that scripture portrays all throughout the Old Testament and some in the New Testament. Now, some of us have abandoned and left that version. There's, I haven't given you anything new yet. Both those versions are in Scripture, and they often run parallel and sometimes even intersect. Now, here's the revelation. Those two versions, I've come to understand, are in Scripture intentionally, intentionally. God has had people present two totally different versions of deity in Scripture. And contrary to what most of mankind has done for millennia, Scripture is not to be viewed as everything in it being about a singular concept of God that contains both of those views. It's not up to us, as mankind has done since Adam and Eve, to come up with doctrines and theology that reconcile these two polar opposite natures of deity, and then coming up with ways to explain and justify the unexplainable and the unjustifiable, not to do that, that obviously creates cognitive dissonance. That is not God's intent, and it never has been. Rather, get this, Scripture and all different religious theological writing and teaching and doctrines and statement of faith and everything is to be viewed as rightly dividing what we see into one of these two presentations of deity. One, Jesus' example and the Holy Spirit's revelation of the triune deity, which I outlined for you, as contrasted with the second version— Adam's dark, evil, bipolar, religious, small g God. There are two different presentations of God in Scripture. They can never be reconciled. That's called a mixed message. They can never be reconciled. One is there intentionally to show us what God is not like, but people have believed God is like. The other is there to show us what God has always been from the beginning, beginning is now, and always will be. Scripture's purpose is to contrast these two in order to reveal the real God and expose the false God. It's never been. It's never been to show that, well, God really has two different natures. Yes, God is love, but God is also just and full of wrath. You have to give... Uh, equal weight to grace and uh, the opposite and law. You No, it has never been to show that. It's been to contrast the two, show us the awful results of believing in the one false version of God, and to show us the wonderful results of believing in the true God. It's never been to somehow say, well, God's ways are just higher than ours, and uh, we can't understand it, but yet God is 
both of these. No, its purpose is to show us God is not one of those. God is only the other one. So as God reveals that to us, we recognize it, we reject the false concept, we avoid it, and then we replace it with the other one, the only true concept of God. And when we do, knowing that truth sets us free. It sets us free from any influence or angst or fear or worry or dread of Adam's false small g God that doesn't even exist. See, light and darkness cannot coexist. Light exposes darkness and reveals what is really true. God is pure light with no trace of darkness. Now, this may be new to you. Knowing this about Scripture, it may be new to you. It certainly was to me. I've been trying to reconcile the two and justify the two and talk about how there there have been uh, mistranslations and, and all of that kind of stuff. No, I've come to see that God has intentionally had people write about what they believe God was like, and then intentionally had Jesus come and show us and reveal to, especially to the Apostle John and to the Apostle Paul and to Peter, the truth of what God is really like, to totally contrast those two. Knowing this puts us in a position like Peter was at Pentecost, to be the primary catalyst for people who are ready to change. And this is a time like Pentecost. This is one of those, what the time that we live in right now is one of those things that, as history has shown, comes along about every 500 years in religion worldwide, where people are ready for a fresh revelation of God's grace and who God really is. Now, as we flesh this out, I'm just giving you the beginning of it today, but we're going to continue with it. I want you to see more and more about Scripture. Yes, Scripture is inspired by God. I now see that God inspired some people, especially in the Old Testament Jewish Scriptures, to write about their concept of God, Adam's dark, angry, punity, false, small g God that doesn't exist, so that we can contrast that with Jesus and the Holy Spirit's revelation of the only true God, not just back in Jesus' day, but today and every day. Even some of the New Testament writers who all grew up, were influenced by, and lived under the law, the false concept of Adam's God, they still didn't see everything clearly during their lifetime. They still had vestiges of Adam's false mindset. Paul and John were the closest ones to really getting all of this. But there were a couple of times when it's apparent that they still didn't get the total picture. And we don't have the total picture today. We can't ever have the total picture of how good God is. I want to talk to you about a well-known passage of Scripture here in a new light. This is 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, and it's from the source translation. And I've got some other things that I've added here from some other translations. Here it is. All Scripture is made alive by God. And the word there is the word theopanoustos. It's a Greek word that only occurs this one time in Scripture and appears to be, this is not my opinion, appears to be a word made up by the Apostle Paul. It means to make alive. 
It's translated in other places as God breathed or is inspired. It means to make alive. It's also, all scripture is made alive by God. And when that happens, it's profitable or useful for teaching and training, for evidence and education and righteousness. It shows us the contrast between the two concepts of deity and reveals our being made right with God. It trains us in righteousness. It reveals our being made right with God, the only true God, because of God's love and grace before the foundation of the world, in direct contrast to striving and trying to gain and maintain approval from Adam's small g, dark, fictitious God because of what Adam's falsely believed about him. A classic example of this is Jesus quoting Old Testament scripture and saying, you've heard this. This is what you've heard and seen in the Old Testament scripture. But I say, and then he goes on to say just the opposite. This is called rightly dividing the truth, the word of truth. By the Holy Spirit, Papa, Jesus, and grace, we can rightly divide what stems from man's perspective and what comes from God. Now, today, I'm going to just briefly follow up with Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, summarize what happened there, and show you how to view this passage in light of what I've been showing you today. God did a totally new thing at that time. Jesus came incarnate. He did his finished work at the cross. Pentecost came. The Holy Spirit was poured out on all people. And Peter understood that. He got the revelation of what that was all about. You and I are now in a position exactly like Peter to help large groups of people all over the world see what's happening today and change from dark to light and start to realize their freedom in Christ. So here it is, Acts 2.14. After all this stuff had happened, Peter stood up with the 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, my fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. You need to clearly understand what's happening here. Then he quoted an old covenant passage from the book of Joel. God says, this is what I will do in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on everybody. Well, that was in total contrast to Adam's concept of God and religion's concept. I will cause your sons and daughters to prophesy. Total contrast to the false concept of God. Your young men will see visions, total contrast to the false concept. Your old men will experience dreams from God, total contrast. The Holy Spirit will come on all my servants, contrasted with the other view of God. Men and women alike, and they will prophesy, totally contrasted with Adam's dark, small g version of God and religion's understanding of that. That was a debunking of the exclusion, and it was revealing the inclusion of everyone. All right, verse 20, the sun will be turned dark. Brian Simmons shows that that's an Aramaic figure of speech that means lights out on the old, and something new is happening, new. Peter continued, people of Israel, listen to the facts. Jesus the victorious was a man on a divine mission whose authority was clearly proven. For you know how God performed many miracles, signs, and wonders through him. Jesus' destiny was prearranged, for God knew that Jesus would be handed over to you to be crucified, and that you would execute him on a cross by the hands of lawless men. Yet it was all part of his predetermined plan. God destroyed the cords of death, 
Adam's God's concept, and raised Jesus up because it was impossible for death's power to hold him prisoner. Then, Peter says, King David wrote, you have revealed to me the pathway to light, and seeing your face fills me with euphoria. And that word euphoria there comes from a Greek word that's only used twice in the entire New Testament, here and in Acts 14.7, and it means the spirit of joy and ecstasy that only comes from God, and that's in total contrast to the dark religious spirit that comes from the false concept of God. All right. I mean, that, that totally refutes Adam's concept of God. That concept of God, people were afraid of. They didn't want to get close to him. They didn't want to look at him. They were afraid if they got close to him and saw his face, they would die. This concept says, no, God is totally different than that. And God is already in you. <laughs> You're not going to die. You're going to live. You're going to have true life. Then Peter continues in verse 32. Can't you see it? He said, God has resurrected Jesus and we've all seen him. This is what God is really like. Then he says, God exalted Jesus to his right hand upon the throne of highest honor. And the father gave him the authority to send his promised Holy Spirit, which is being poured out on us today. This is what you're seeing and hearing. Now, 30 verse 36, he says, now everyone in Israel can know for certain that Jesus who you crucified, is the one God, the only true God, the one that God made both Lord and Messiah. I want you to get this. Peter is saying that Jesus, his nature, his character, how he revealed the Father's nature and character of unconditional love and grace and inclusion is the only true concept of God. And the concept that they had up until then, the entire Old Testament concept, of Adam's false dark God is just that, false. He's contrasting two totally different versions of God. And people were moved by the Holy Spirit. They were ready. Peter got it. He, he, he was an untrained rough fisherman who hadn't been to school at all. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he knew, knew he gave this revelation that people grasped at God. So here's the deal. It's a situation like that today. Each one of us can do the same thing that Peter did, where 3,000 people were joined to their group that day, and then tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people after that. Because today, it's that time in history when people are ready. Here's how the text says the crowd responded to Peter's words. When they heard what all he said, they were crushed in their spirit and realized what they had done, and it was wrong. They'd realized that they had a completely wrong concept of God, so much so that they killed God's son in the flesh. Deeply moved, they said to Peter and the other apostles, what do we need to do? People are starting to ask us that. If they haven't asked you that yet, they're going to. Hey, we realize we bet on the wrong horse. So what are we going to do? Peter replied, repent which means to change your minds about what religion has taught you about Adam's false God and return to the only true God who's only ever been God. Now, I'm going to summarize what happened to these folks next and put it in a format that we can use going forward in our practical application. Here's the first point. The Holy Spirit in you reveals truth to you, shows you an area where you have been in the dark, where you've had a false concept of God, and the Holy Spirit shines the light of truth on it. You see the darkness of Adam's small g God, whom you had embraced. You see that contrasted with Jesus' Papa, the only true God, and you realize you were wrong. 
Not only us, I'm talking about us, but this is what people are doing all over the country now. Number two, you ask the teacher in you, what do I need to do now? Number three, you listen and you will always hear some area where you need to change your mind. It's something new every day where we see that God is better and better and better than we thought he was the day before. We repent, we change our mind, we come out of the darkness and we embrace the truth in the light. You meet and come to Jesus. And in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to close with explaining to you what that means. You meet and come to Jesus. You change your mind about any perception that comes from the dark evil system, things like separation and fear and punishment, us, them. You reject your old way of thinking. And number four, you replace your former dark religious mindset with the truth about the only true God, the good news. Number five, you rejoice then. This term that I explained to you is only you have this total euphoria. You rejoice as you walk in the light with the Trinity, who is pure light with no trace of darkness. You rejoice in being part of the church, in quotes, which in Aramaic means those who have met Jesus, left religion, and come to him. In the language Jesus spoke in Aramaic, the word that we translate church means meet and come, meet Jesus and come to him. The church is those who have met Jesus and come to him. The Greek word that we translate as church means the called out ones, those who are called out from any concept of Adam's false concept of God and called into the light. Now, it's not talking about the formal organized brick and mortar building or a denomination or a system or an organization referred to as the church. It's actually just the opposite. It's what's happening today in this worldwide tsunami of the revelation that God is pure light and in them is no trace of darkness. And it's being called out of that darkness into light. First, as individuals, and then there are small groups of people all over the world. There is this worldwide awakening of people seeing that Adam's dark concept of a religious God isn't true. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't hold water. It doesn't work. It produces cognitive dissonance. Religious system has created an unreconcilable cognitive dissonance about its concept of God. And people are leaving that system in droves, but they don't know what to leave it for or where to go to. And they are asking, as the people did to Peter 2,000 years ago, what do we do now? Some people call this deconstruction. There are a lot of different words for us. Well, here's the good news. You know you have Holy Spirit power. You know who the only true God is. You experience and enjoy the only true God 24-7. God is orchestrating opportunities for you right now, just as he did with Peter on the day of Pentecost, for you to nura, N-O-O-H-R-A, to reveal the two different concepts of God and show people the contrast between dark and light so that they can see the light, come into the light, and experience this ecstasy, this unbelievable euphoric life that we have, new life in Christ. Now, I've given you a lot today, a 
ton today. Probably, I probably should have broken this up in, at least into two messages, but I didn't. I've given you a lot today, and we're going to continue to grow on this, see this contrast, leave the old, embrace the new. We're going to be the church worldwide, the body of Christ worldwide, which is people who have met Jesus and come to him, who have been called out of religion, called away from Adam's dark concept of a small G God, and who are now walking in the light, pure light walkers. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for being with me today. I look forward to continuing on this journey with you, fleshing these things out even more and more. Please contact me. Let me know what God's saying to you about all of this, and we will grow in grace together. Love you all. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.